kids, children, if you want to pick something to colour and sit quietly while I take this time, by God's help, to speak with you as we do put aside, don't we, to gather on a Sunday a precious time. I'm going to continue in the epistle, as you might know, 1 John. So if you want to turn to that epistle, 1 John chapter 3, and we will continue. One of the challenges of, of, first of all, preaching through a book is you have no opportunity to avoid anything. (laughs) So we have to take what comes, a bit like life really, we have to take what comes, um, though we haven't covered every line of every every verse, not particularly every verse, though we're trying to cover the context. Um, We're going to go on today into verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. I'm going to read from the top of chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles ready, I'll begin. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear that we shall be, or what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that hath this hope in him, purifying himself, even as he is pure. Verse 4 says this, Whoever committeth sin, transgresseth the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. May God bless the reading of his word to us. Last week, I want to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed myself because the subject that we dealt with is one which I... Um, I want to say that I'm passionate about because I'm passionate about scripture but the truths of what we dealt with last week are one that I would pray for the most that you and I as Christians grasp that today we are called the sons of God that we've been purchased into his family that we've been adopted into his family and as verse 3 says and we didn't particularly deal with verse 3 every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself He goes on, being sanctified, working out his own salvation with fear and with trembling. Doing this, living the Christian life, the real evidence that one is a son of God. There are evidences, friends, this morning that you belong to God. It's not just a profession, not just something that loosely comes off the tongue. We know an apple is an apple because it looks like an apple. We know an apple tree is an apple tree because apples come from that tree. And you and I as Christians today ought to be bearing fruit of our sonship. There ought to be evidences. We ought to be able to say yes as as the great apostle did. And I think John Bunyan said it. That yes, I'm not what I am. I'm not what I want to be. 
And I'm not what I... I am what I am by the grace of God. I have been saved. I have been washed. I am now clean. Yes, I struggle in this Christian life. Yes, I look at yesterday and oh my. But are you changing? Are you purifying yourself? Are you dealing with sin? That's where we were last time, wasn't it? And then we go on to verse 4. And it says this. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So friends, today we deal with the subject of sin. The subject of sin. A word, a subject, that if we were really being honest with ourselves, we would rather avoid. We would quickly skip over this verse. I wonder why. There has been accusation among those who do preach the full counsel of God that sin is talked of too often. Sin is preached too often. What I want to say to that is, if we do not have the context of these two verses, that could be a, a right thing to say. If we miss the fifth verse. But sin, friends, must be dealt with. Sin must be preached. Sin must be talked of. And I would say we don't want to deal with it is because of this primary reason. And it is this. It exposes who and what we are. That's why. It exposes us, yes, in our own hearts, first and foremost. You know what happens in churches far too often is you're too concerned about the person next to you. That person, you justify your actions by, well, that person did that. My friends, if you measure your Christian life against mine, you will fail. Because I will fail you. But I suggest today that if we deal with the subject, the doctrine, if you like, the teaching of sin properly and rightly, it will magnify and emphasize the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's what should happen when we speak of sin or one of the things that should happen. Let me say this. Let me give you a glimpse of what I mean or what I am trying to communicate. If sin remains unknown, then so does the cure. If sin remains unknown, then so does the cure. No diagnosis, no hope of healing or a need of a physician. Brethren, sisters, this morning, to disregard sin's grave implications is disastrous to ignore the gravity of what sin is what sin does is disastrous sin s-i-n sin so then together this morning as we are challenged to us by the word of god let us consider the doctrine of sin 
And it is a doctrine. It is a teaching. I read through, as I often do, I'll probably share this with you as often as I do it. But every time I prepare myself to preach, I again read through the letter of John. And what I did this time was mark how many times just the word sin is mentioned within this epistle. Or sin, or, or sinning, or sinneth, however it, it is, is there in your translation. And the answer was 28 times. In my office there, I've got it broke down, how many in each chapter. But 28 times within five chapters, this apostle mentions the word sin, but the context, my friends, this morning is much, much more than that. And as we would look through the Old Testament, as we look through the New Testament, in fact, if you get your Bible and you read it, what you'll see is, we've sinned, we need a remedy. Israel have fell, they need a king. Men are depraved. Men are hopeless. Men are at enmity against God. What then is this great answer? What is sin? That's the question I put to you this morning. In fact, what the scriptures put to us this morning. What is sin? Now, if we were to be in a Bible study situation, we could say, well, what do you think it is? And we would come up, I would guess, with the certain things that manifest itself as sin. But we must look deeper, friends. We must look deeper than the list of bad things that we do. It's called the nature of sin. It's called what we are in Adam. It's called what we are prone to. It's called what we prefer Sin is the transgression of the law, the King James Version puts it. The New King James says this, which I believe is helpful. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is, is lawlessness. Again, if we were to open the meeting up and discuss what we thought lawlessness was, we'd have, I would imagine this morning we would have a sense of what lawlessness is. It is transgression. It is the breaking of a law. But we ask, what does it mean? What does it mean in the context of our Christian life or not? Lawlessness is an activity bereft of God's guidance and violation of his law. That's what lawlessness is. That's what lawlessness is. A synonym in the English dictionary for the word transgression is, some, is this. To breach. Encroachment. Error. Fault. Violation. Infringement. Many, many more. You see, brothers and sisters, there is every temptation, is there not? Even now, as I stand here before you to water down this topic of sin. Every temptation. We love one another. We, we get on with one another. We may have our scrapes and our, our warts and all, but we, we, why, why do we, why, Brian, this morning do we have to deal with this issue? Because we speak of something greater than even what we did yesterday as we got together and kicked the ball. And I'll be the first to say how sweet it was. But friends, we speak today of something about eternity. 
And we must today prepare ourselves to meet with God as if we were going to meet Him today. And I don't believe that there's enough emphasis on that in our generation. Yesterday, some of you had gone home and watched that football match, Denmark v. Finland. I had the pleasure of watching it with a Finn. And within 43 minutes, a 29-year-old man fell flat on his face and had a heart attack. Eternity is only a moment away, friends. But we treat it. We treat eternity as if it's something of a nice hymn. It's something that we sing about. It's something that will happen when maybe I'm in my 80s, 90s, if God is even gracious, more gracious. But friends, today... Today might be the day that you meet with him. Therefore, we must tackle the issue of sin. Sin is something which I would confidently say is not preached. It is looked over. In fact, in many contemporary churches today, they are now calling sin mistakes. They call sin mistakes. A mistake is not switching the dishwasher on before you go to bed at night. A mistake is not indicating at the junction. A mistake maybe is leaving the heating on or dropping your grandma's favourite glass. But friends, we speak of something much, much deeper. We talk of your condition. And you need a remedy, friends. You need a remedy. You see, even as Christians... We can use terms like this. Well, yes, I've, I've sinned, but God will forgive me. You see, that statement in and of itself holds great truths. Because it is true. God is the forgiver of sins. We have even gone through that. If we confess our sins, 1 John the first epistle of John again, as we dealt with some weeks ago. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's just to forgive. To forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But so, so within that, there is absolute truth. But my friends this morning, and I say it with, with lament, sadly, if one is found saying that, it is often from a heart that has not yet known the wickedness or the evil of sin. If we can go on and say, well, well, God will forgive me, I would suggest we have not yet had a conviction of sin that we ought to have had. You see, have we come to that knowledge? Have we come to the knowledge that we are a sinner? In fact, let's, 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 let's say this. That's what we are. You see, that's what's difficult about this. I, I'm looking at faces this morning of sweetness, of kindness, who have done good and great things. But friends, by nature, by nature, you know what? If we deny that we have sinned, as John says, remember the context. Remember the context. If we deny this doctrine, if we say yes, but well, let's call it a mistake. We've denied the reason that Christ came. That's the, that's the problem. That's the, that's the sadness in all of this. 
You see, that kind of attitude of, well, yeah, I've sinned. I've sinned, yeah, I know I have. I'll go to God again before I go to bed and I'll pray and he'll forgive me. Friends, that attitude is no better than that of the Catholics. Sin today, confess on Sunday. Are we to be found with that heart? You see, let us then today withdraw from efforts to water this down. But let us peel or unfold back the curtain and ask again, what is sin? What is sin? Hear what Augustine said. He said this, sin is pride. The mad passion to be superior even to God. And as of a state of being bent away from God into an attitude, listen to this, friends, of self-absorption. Absorption. You see, sin is the exalting of one's self against the Creator. Sin is the exalting of one's self against the Creator withholding homage due to him. I've been, I have had a, some form of a relationship with a perfectionist. I can tell you I haven't now. I don't know if you know much about that doctrine. I've certainly mentioned it here. But basically, it means that we can be perfect this side of eternity. I mean... Sadly, we've gone the other way. Sin has become so liberal. So we're so flippant about it. You see, if, 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 if we could be perfect this side of eternity, we would perfect. We would worship perfectly. Oh, friends, that is the cry of our heart. Is it not to be with Christ so that we can be made perfect? Saints, this morning, is this not what John is saying? Whoever committeth sin transgresseth the law. What is the law? What is the law? Well, I asked my question, I asked myself that question as I prepared to speak with you this morning. And we have to go to the summarizing of Christ. Christ said this in Matthew 22 and again in other parts of the gospel. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Notice the order here, friends. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if we sin, friends, we transgresseth the law. It says in the book of James, you who have not murdered yet commit your commit another one you've broken all the law of course paraphrasing broken the law 
I ask you, hear me, when I say we can and must recognize how sin manifests itself in our life. In our life, in your life, there's a manifestation of sin. Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Now that might sound contradictory. Might sound odd. You sin because you're a sinner. That's what the problem is. You sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. My sin doesn't make me a sinner. It's what I am. It's what I'm bent to. It's what I love. It's what I prefer. It's what I I long to do. You see, we've mentioned this before. But sin, there is great pleasure, friends. Sin is a pleasurable thing. If it were not, why would it have its problem? And you know one another another thing, and I really pray that you hear this this morning. One of the great problems of the contemporary gospel is that everything is blamed on the devil. Let me tell you your biggest problem this morning. It ain't the devil. It's you. It's your sin. Let's stop blaming the devil for your sin yesterday. It was you who did that. It's me who did that. It's me who was on the balcony. It's me who loved sin, not the devil. It's a great problem with today's gospel. My friends, I tell you, I wish I could explain my real heart behind this. Yes, the devil comes. He does. He comes. And he will use your past sin against you. And he will use that again. He comes. It's another doctrine in and of itself. But my friends, this morning, your biggest problem today is sin. Is sin. It comes to manifesting itself in different ways, doesn't it? Fornication, idolatry, adulterous, effeminate, thieves, covetousness, drunkenness. That's its manifestation. And we do these things because we are sinners. I pray you see it, don't you? The reason for such evil is because, friends, the reason for sin or the reason for such evil is because we have forsook the first commandment. That's the problem. That there lies our problem. We have not loved God as we ought. We have rejected his ways. You see, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, that is what we are called to. That is what we ought to be. But sin is living opposite to God's plan. Sin is retreating from God. Sin is turning your back on God. Sin is ignoring and defying God. Sin means, if you look at the Greek, means to miss the mark. You've shot the arrow, and you, my friend, are nowhere near bullseye. We've heard, we've not even hit the board. In fact, the arrow falls straight to the ground. We have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. Friends, this morning, this is revealed to us throughout the whole of Scripture. This is told us. This is the mercy of God. We have the pattern throughout the whole of Scripture. That's why, friends, be reading the Bible. Be in the Bible. It is that simple. Christian, today, read your Bible. 
Read it. Read it and ask God as those disciples did that you'll reveal it to us. It's taught throughout the whole of Scripture. Remember? How many chapters in do we see sin? Three? Chapter three of Genesis? Two, maybe. It's there. Thou shalt not eat from that tree. What happened? Oh, did we not eat it? And I say we is because we are found in Adam. You see, I haven't got the time this morning to talk to you about the, what, about the federal head. Today our head is Christ because we've been brought into him. But by nature, Christ is our head. We are of Adam. We are of Adam. It's called original sin. It's what we are. And you know what? Your sin and my sin tells me this morning that I am of Adam. Moses goes up to the mountain, remember, to get the law. What happens? Well, we could, we could really exhaust that topic. But I'll tell you what happens. False worship. Idolatry. The worship of golden calves. Have you read through the story of Israel? You read through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. You read that? The highs, the lows, the falls, the rejection, the rebellion. Israel rebelled. And let me say, they are still rebelling. As are we. Rebelled against God. But as you see, oh my friends, I'm getting above, above even my notes here. But what we also see, where sin abounded, even in the Old Testament. That wasn't something new in many ways. It's something that was brought to completion. Where sin abounded, did grace much more abound. Again, have you ever read the book of Kings? Read it in this light. Read it in, read it in the knowledge of the mercy of Jesus Christ and of God. How he never, ever left the Israel. Never, ever forsook his people we'd pick so many couldn't we to prove not because I am saying it because scripture tells us that we are by nature sinning and sinners against God hear the words of Paul in Romans 1 because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginings, and their foolish heart was darkened. Friends, they didn't want God. We didn't want him. We preferred our own way. We have said to God, thanks, but no thanks. And the consequences, my friends, are just outside that door. Or maybe within consequences are that's what you switched on this morning evil it's a question isn't it we get asked in the open air it's a question you might have been asked in your workplace 
A question that unbeliever in your family might have said. How, how can there be a God with all this evil? Because God has said, I'll hand you over to it because that's what you want. And he's let you have it. He's only given what you want, friends. He's only given you Saul. He wanted David. He wanted actually the Messiah. But you said, I want Saul. We want a king, just like the other countries. And he said, there you go. You want your way? You have your way. And in that context of Romans 1, you see the result. See what sin does? Sin ruins families. Sin breaks up marriages. Sin ruins children. Sin ruins nations. Sin, sin splits churches. Sin, sin, sin is our greatest problem. And it's yours. And it's mine. And I want to say that I think that what is guilty of this modern contemporary church is they've just forsook it. Tell me I'm a sinner. Tell, tell me. Tell me so I can look. To, what's the remedy? That's the cry. If there is a diagnosis, even in your medical life tomorrow, you're going to say, is there a, is, is there a remedy? Are you not? Surely. You get told tomorrow that you have cancer. You, the question you will ask to your doctor, is there any hope and is there a remedy? That's why we must preach sin. We must diagnose the heart of man. Why? So that we can point him. We can say there's a remedy, there's a saviour, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why. That's why. You see, Isaiah put it right, didn't he? All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. Who then sinned? Well, who has then sinned? Maybe this morning... Even amongst us, there might be that prideful heart that says, well, yeah, I've, yeah, I've made a few things wrong. Quite a few things, shouldn't have done that. And yeah, you maybe have a bit of a guilt for a few moments, but a sinner? Me? Wicked heart? Depraved by nature? Really? Me? Who are you to say such a thing, preacher? Solomon was right, wasn't he? There is no man that sinneth not. Paul, with the psalmist, said these things. That none, not one, has done good. You know, there's Christians today that think that that's not true. Even our worship today, friends, is tainted with sin. Why? Because you're in it. But, and as Paul again says, all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. We have missed the mark. We could spend hours on the doctrine of sin. Higher, lower, deeper, broader. Sins of omission, sins of commission. Things that, we, things that we should have done that really we shouldn't. We could go on. We could go on and on and on. You know what? The, the, the reality is if we were to end this service here, we would not have the full counsel of God. 
because it would leave us without hope. It would leave us completely without hope. We'd be going back and thinking, how can we be saved? I can't fulfill the law. I just can't. What then is our hope? Let me first consider it like this. If you have not yet come under conviction of sin, the question will mean very little, what is our hope? You see, remember this as I started. No diagnosis, no hope of healing. Friends, today, do you not know that you've sinned? And that is what you are by nature. And I wish that hearts and minds, even within this room today, could grasp just that. Rather than trying to say, there's too many yes buts in theology today. Yes but. Friends, you've sinned. You've offended Almighty God. And in and of yourself, with me, you deserve the wrath of God. And that means hell for all eternity. It's what you deserve. But we have the great apostles saying this, as I've already quoted, where sin abounded. You see, we live in a day, friends, where sin is abounding. It's not only, it's not only quietly done. I don't want this to make about even the nation, but I would address it as a nation problem initially. It's not only quietly done in the back streets of cities anymore. It's done in the open. And you know what? More than that, it's applauded. More than that, it's say, let's do it. More than that, we make flags about it. More than that, we make political movements to push it. And you know what? The church, my friend, is guilty. Because we have not dealt with sin. You say, why is our nation in trouble? You want to blame the prime minister? Wake up, friends. The church, the church has done this. Because we have not preached sin. We have not preached its hope. We have not condemned sin. We have said, well, well, well. What about our own heart? Do you know? Do you know that's what we are? Do you know that you want and have gone your own way? Lived in lawlessness. Transgressed the very law of God. You see, if you don't know that, and I mean, if you don't really know that, the next passage I'm going to read to you will only add ten minutes to another already miserable sermon. Sisters, brothers, if you do know it, and you battle daily, and that sometimes you say to live is Christ but to die is gain, that you're weary of that constant sinfulness, you're tired of that innate and inward battle, you're tired of letting the one whom died fall you down, you're tired of finding yourself there again. The next verse that I'm going to read to you should cause you to walk out these doors leaping and dancing with joy. Not with joy, but with joy. <laughs> this is sweet, friends. 
This is sweet. This is the gospel. I think in these two verses alone is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've sinned. You've transgressed the law. But listen, John says, there is hope. Why? We know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Praise God. Hallelujah. And in him is no sin. Oh, my friends. I have no idea where I am in my notes. But this is sweet. You know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Friends, there it is. There is, there is the remedy. There is the healer. The healer has come. Incarnate son of God. Why? To be the propitiation for our sins. The one to whom the prophets declared. He has come. The Lamb of God. But this morning, maybe you might say, but how can that save me? I would say to you, that is a brilliant question. How can a Jewish man save me? How can that happen? That's a fair question, isn't it? And this person, all them years ago, yes, save somebody, but save to the multitude? I've got ten minutes. But I know this, that John tells us. Because in him is no sin. What does John declare there? What does he declare, friends? In him is no sin. This Christ is God. That's what John is saying. There's only one who is perfect. And that is this Jesus Christ to whom I preach to you this morning. How can he save you? How can he save you? Because in him is no sin. He was the qualification for the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. Remember, again, we've spoke like this before. Remember your Old Testament. It tells you that the lamb that was required is a lamb without blemish, spotless, perfect in all of its ways. Friends, that was a shadow. That was a type to say that you needed a perfect sacrifice. And I want to say to you this morning, Christ is that sacrifice. He is the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. He is that one. How can that save me, though, you might ask? How can his sinlessness save me? Friends, because that was the demand. To fulfill the law. Christ is the true Israel. He fulfilled every demand of the law. We needed a saviour, one who would fulfill the demands of the law. Deal with guilt, expiation, and one who would take away the penalty of our lawlessness. The God-man. This is the God-man. Christ, our Passover lamb, has done this. How? Well, I hope I've already explained that. In his active obedience, which means this, simply... Fulfilling the law perfectly. He didn't just come to die, friends. He came to do and deal with the law. That law needed to be fulfilled. 
Why? Because that's God's standard. He is righteous. Let's say this. Passive obedience. Which means this, simply. In paying the price of sin, submissively. Paying the price of sin, submissively. You see, this was the requirement, wasn't it? This was the demand. And this is what our Christ has done. Manifest to take away our sins. Yes, the diagnosis. I said it at the beginning. As we deal with this subject right, it ought to hurt. That actually, to put us under the lamp, that yes, we are sinners. But what that will do, it should, if you are Christ this morning, will cause you to run to him. And if we deal with this subject rightly, it will be glorious. Why? Because we have been diagnosed, yes, and oh, how painful. But when we come to know our sin and the need of a saviour, oh, what sweetness and what joy. Oh, what it means to have our sins forgiven. What it means to know that we are called the sons of God who have our sins forgiven. The knowledge of sin means knowing your need of forgiveness. That's what this does. That's what talking about sin does. It tells you that you need to be forgiven. Is that not good news? If you're about to fall in a pit of fire and no one was going to tell you and you fall in, you would say, why, oh man, oh why, oh friend, did you not tell me? So knowledge of sin tells you that you need forgiveness. But the great question this morning is this, what will you do or what have you done with that knowledge? Have you run further into sin? Or have you run to the Saviour? You see, be be sure of this as we conclude, as I conclude and we partake in the Lord's Supper. Be sure of this, friends. Without forgiveness of sin, there is no hope of fellowship with God. So Christ came to purchase our liberty. To purchase our freedom so that we can go and know this, that when we see him, we'll be like him. This is the blessed hope. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, friends, do you know that your sins are forgiven? Well, let me ask it like this. Are your sins forgiven? Not by a pope or a priest. Not by a religious sect or a movement or a church. But have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you? I'm not asking if you've been born in a Christian family. I'm not asking you if you've read from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not asking you if you have an assent to Christianity. I'm not asking you if you know the doctrines of 
of grace. I'm not asking you that, friends. I am asking you this because you today might be where that man was yesterday, flat on your face. Are you ready to meet with this God? Are you ready? Because we've got to do away with our religious activity. We've got to do away, friends, with thinking that we might be something that we're not. Are you a Christian? That's what I'm asking you. Are you? Do you believe upon Christ? Are you repented and turned from sin? Do you now? Let me say it like this. Have you got a relationship with sin? The answer first should be yes. Yes, I have. But once it was in the love and in the pleasures of it. But today it's in the fight and the hatred of it. Today, where are your friends? I want to say to you, I am what I am. But oh, that the Lord would bring me to a greater knowledge of who he is. Let's pray. Blessed assurance.